Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves the experience of cracking them open or you love the convenience of no-shell pistachios like myself, Wonderful Pistachios is the perfect healthy snack for when hunger strikes. And there are a bunch of tasty flavors to choose from too, like honey roasted, smoky barbecue, jalapeno lime, and more. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. What I needed to show was that that this entity, that person who is taking care of mom, trying to take care of family, trying to get into the school, learning all those skills and, and on the hustle. Right. That person is still alive in the 30, 35 year old, 40 year old man right. right now. And that that word luxury, when you get to a point where you can live in a luxury high, high rise, right. but you can't take the luxury of like making sure that your anxiety level is down. Sure. Like what is luxury? Like, like to me, to me, it is luxurious to now find peace. We had to fight to get a meal. Yeah, wrongfully accused. We had to fight to get a pills. That's why we right to get a deal. He on the team, he gotta eat, you know. Despite, despite the skills, fat. Keep it riding for the fam. You gotta like the wooden wheels straight up. But in the past, bad. Work up in the trash bag. I'll pass a lot to take the test before I pass class. Yeah. And my family needed bread. I had to come correct. That's why I keep airing it out like I just passed gas. Super excited to have you guys on the show today, uh, Terrell. I really, I really want to jump right in. Coming off the success of Moonlight, winning an Oscar, you then jump right into David Makes Man, which is interesting to me because something I learned from you, black men don't watch TV, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and the things that you're touching on, things that we touch on this show organically, sexuality, mental health, race, uh, we touch on so much. It shows up every single minute in David Makes Man. Yeah. That was bold. Yes and no. I mean, again, when we were talking before, we just had this conversation, but people always um, tell me one thing. And then there's this little thing in the back of my head. You ever watch Harry Potter? Yep. Okay, cool. I'm House Slytherin. <laughs> I'm House Slytherin. Um, so people and, don't get you. It's just, and it's not on purpose. I don't mean to be, but I am. So when people tell me no to certain things, I'm like, why? And so um, very early on, when we were, you know, before Moonlight was a thing, we had um, actually this man, Glenn, and Andre Holland, who is another friend of ours who is in our circle of, of, of care, um, brought me out to LA and they were like, yo, you should be thinking about TV. You should be having a conversation about television and what you want to do. And we spent 10 days just in a hotel scribbling ideas. And I was like, and every time I met with an executive, the thing they would say is like, well, black men don't watch TV. Right. Mm. They don't, they like, we don't count on them as the people who tune in. And we get it now. We still get it. Even today, even after making a show that specifically talks about what black men may be enduring. And one of the reasons why I loved Coming across your show, John actually brought it to my attention first. I am athlete was because I was like, they're doing exactly what we have kind of organically done. Right. You know, we all met each other in 2007 um, at Sundance. We met John at, at uh, on a bunker hill somewhere. <laughs> and um, and we became friends because we were like, yo, there are not a lot of us in this industry. And there and they certainly don't speak our same language. I remember Deion Sanders saying that to you all about like, yeah. what 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 what's the difference about going to an HBC or an HBU or going to a privileged white institution? Well, 
One of the things is community, being able to speak each other's language. I know where you come from. Exactly. So that was one of the reasons for David Makes Man. I wanted to talk about like how there is a 15-year-old kid in me from this area, from Miami-Dade, who hasn't, who learned how to survive in so many ways, but hasn't learned how to live, right? Hasn't learned how to chill out, hasn't learned how to walking around thinking I gotta walk, I gotta like navigate the bullies everywhere, going into meetings, sweating, getting upset, getting anxious, and not knowing that that kid is still trying to survive on all cylinders. So that's where the show came from. And I think to me, it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing of, of trying to be revolutionary. It was actually just trying to be necessary. Yeah. I mean, for, for, for David makes man to be critically acclaimed and, and I'm embarrassed to say this. I didn't until own came to us and said, Hey, we would love to partner with you guys to launch season two. I had no clue, you know? Yeah. Um, and when I start diving into it, one critically acclaimed two, I'm like, this is me. This is us. And there's so many different scenes. There's so many different episodes where I'm like, that's me. That's me. Or that's my brother. Mm. That's my cousin. This is my world. And I feel like it's therapeutic. I feel like it's more of a legacy play than it is like to go chase another award. Right. That's how I feel about it. And, and it's so needed. Yeah. When you see a reflection of yourself that validates your existence, there's nothing more powerful than, me- than media can do. Because we've gone so long, as you said, because they, the, the narrative is that black men don't watch TV. So why do we need to show them on TV? And that's probably the reason why they don't watch TV. They watch sports. You turn into Stephen A or whatever, because, you know, you'll see some sort of reflection of yourself in that particular milieu. But if it's not happening in the scripted world, then it's like, well, if they're not serving us, why should I be dining at that restaurant? You know what I'm saying? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I can totally agree with what you're saying, man. Like when you see when you see a young man who is dealing with the trauma of losing someone from his life very close, right? Trying to go to this school, negotiate things, help his mom, help his little brother who's still having troubles wetting the bed or whatnot. Right. His primary focus is not necessarily just doing his work. He's got all this other Ish. I don't know. What's, what's the is there language on the show? All this other shit that he's got to deal with. Not right. And the thing that like strikes me as interesting, because I was thinking about this in anticipation of our conversation is. He, he has this thing that he does that that Randall does, which was kind of like, which came first? I don't know. But like I was watching his knee and I was like, that's my knee. And I, I was like, you need to calm down. You're making me anxious. So, but, but I say that to say we as a community and as men oftentimes don't think that we have the time or the luxury of tending to the thing that's not quite right internally mm. because we have to keep moving forward. And I think in terms of what I would love to add to this conversation is that once we start to see that it's not a luxury, but a necessity to actually move forward. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, but even in that word luxury, I mean, that's the thing. And I was talking, I think I talked to you about this a little bit, um, which is why season two is so important. You know, a lot of folks were like, well, you know, we love Keely. You know, we love seeing Akili on the screen. Why are you jumping? 
And I was like, no, we're going to still see Keely. Everybody calm down. All the aunties who want to see Keely, they're going to see Keely. What I needed to show was that that this entity, that person who is taking care of mom, trying to take care of family, trying to get into the school, learning all those skills and, and on the hustle, right? That person is still alive in the 30, 35-year-old, 40-year-old man right. right now. And that that's the th- that word luxury. When you get to a point where you can live in a luxury high-rise, high but you can't take the luxury of like making sure that your anxiety level is down. Sure. Like, what is luxury? Yeah. Like, like, to me, to me, it is luxurious to now find peace. Right. Like, keep peace, Absolutely. right? Can, can, can we do this? And I'm off script a little bit here because there's some clips we want to show. Um, and it's something that I feel like a lot of us deal with. I feel like it's something that I still deal with transitioning from football, playing football my entire life since I was six. So 27, 28 years playing ball, uh, now transitioning to being a retired athlete. Uh, there was a moment that you guys captured where, uh, you, uh, little David, Achille, um, where you were the lookout and, you were pressured into that situation. And it's like, I feel like we all have that moment growing up in, in the inner city or in the hood where it's like walking home from school. There's a moment where you have to decide. It's like, am I going to go left? Or am I going to go right? Am I going to do this, do these drugs or not? Am I going to gain, join a gang or not? So you were pressured, but really because of your baby brother, like you took it for your baby brother. And so now you're in the moment, you're, you're the lookout and you're going through a dream. And it's like, you're like, no, I am this, I am that. And then you're telling yourself lies almost into like what we always embrace and we glorify in our community. Like, no, I'm from the hood. No, I'm tough. I'm strong. Like, yeah. And then all of a sudden you start saying, I am water. I am on that persona of being tough and being from the hood all the time when really we come from water, come from dirt and things like that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, you know, why you wrote this. And, and and what that means, because I maybe I don't know if I took it the wrong way, but it just it just felt like that's something that we all deal with. Let's take a look at this. Where do you come from? Where I'm from. I'm from the Ville. I come from the hood. The gutter. What is your story? I come from people who know hard work. Oh, oh that's funny to you. I, I know y'all see me as a clown, but but my grandfather. My granddaddy had to run out of Alabama for, for smashing a white dude in the head with a bottle. For, for spitting on him. You see, he ain't played at it. Neither, neither do I. Stupid. I come from growers. Come from dirt. I come from water. 
come from laughter. What does all that mean? Like, I just want to make sure that I, what I saw and what I felt, you talk know. Talk about it. I got it. Like, yeah, talk about talk it. Talk about it. Because I know what he was going to say that because however you received it was how you were supposed to receive it. Well, I just feel like. In that moment, I feel like David, you know what I'm saying, was trying to, at the beginning when he was telling uh, the story about his grandfather, you know, slamming a bottle over somebody's head, right. you know, and him coming from the hood, just basically trying to encourage himself or talk himself up to do the task that he was set to do, you know what I'm saying? Which was to be the lookout, watch or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And look over stuff. So I guess when he was going in and went into that dream and he went too deep and he got to talking about where he really came from and coming from dirt and water and all that other good stuff. And that's when you seen the police came and interrupted all that. So that's what I took from it, really. Right. Season one was phenomenal. Season two, obviously, you guys, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to get a sneak peek before everyone else. But that was one of those emotional scenes for me because, you know, I feel like a lot of us where we come from, we really embrace, like you, we glorify, you know, I'm from the hood, I'm from the projects, I'm from the PJs. The, the tougher you are, the bigger your platform, right? The more power you have. And and the reality is, in, in that scene, I, I, what I saw was, you know, someone struggling with embracing where they came from and then letting that go to embrace, like, no, what is real and what is beautiful, right? Because at the end of the day, we don't say that to each other. Yeah. We don't say, like, no, nah, bro, like, I love you. We don't say, you know, th this is beautiful. You know, I come from something that's bigger than just this small little you know, neighborhood. So that's what, that's what I took from it. Bigger than just me, I feel yeah. Right. We struggle with, in, you know, seeing a beauty in, in, in life. Mm. Like, we get so wrapped up in, in surviving. We get so wrapped up in, you know, 
the aggression. You, you follow me? I do. I mean, I think, I mean, Glenn and I talk about this all the time. Glenn grew up in Chatham. I grew up in uh, Liberty City, right there. If you look over, uh, uh, or if you look at 95 and Overtown, that used to be there. Um, and I think a lot of what happened on the way home from school, from our magnet programs, from our gifted programs that were outside of that community, that were telling us, hey, you got to learn all these amazing things, but you can't learn them in your community. Right. Right. Um, when we would come back in, we would have a choice. And we had, and, and again, I got offered more chances to, you know, be lookout than I did to be an Academy Award winner That's at right. that age. That's right. right. That's right. Absolutely. And so, um, when you keep, when that choice keeps confronting you, when that's the choice that you keep getting, you keep thinking to yourself, well, how do I stand in it? How do I stand up to it? And David, like Akili said, is standing on, he's st sitting on a corner doing lookout for the police when he should be doing his homework. And then he starts doing his homework, right? And I always thought to myself, though, I, and I do remember that few, the few times that I was lookout and was thinking about my homework at the same time, I was like, oh, why do we always show, you know, we have, look, there are great shows out there that do show black men. So let's not pretend that there aren't. This is us, The Wire, um, uh, Snowfall. And I, and I thought to myself, hey, I'm not in any way trying to be, uh, to denigrate that. I want, those are good stories. We need them. I want to be by, side by side on yeah. those. I want to tell the other the other portion of it, right? So we have many versions of it. So for example, yes, we know people are asked to be in the drug game, but then what does it mean for that person who's also trying to figure out how to do their homework at the same time? And so that's what you get. You get this moment where this kid is sitting in the drug game, yeah. but also trying to excel in his, his gifted program. And I know, I know that's you. I know that's you. I know that's you. I know, I know all of us have been in that position where we're like, I got to put on one face for these fellas, but I got to think about 70 other things. That, we know, we know medically that that takes a toll on your body and your mind because you're doing so much that your heart is racing, right? Your adrenals are going, right? And if you keep doing that all the time, you end up with heart problems, right? You end up with, you end up having early stroke. You end up, like, we know that this is, that this causes us to lose the kind of life that we want to lead later. Yeah. Trying to get through these, these sort of crucibles, right? Yep. Trying to, trying to thread these needles of these very impossible moments. Yeah. Um, and so that's what that was. It's, it's, it's an impossible moment. It's a moment that is both dangerous and both beautiful at the same time. And also what I see from that is, um, I see everything that, that you saw and, and what you were saying, Akili. Also see a young black boy having an existential crisis in middle school, hmm. right? Mm. And I think that we don't talk nearly enough about that. One of the things I really appreciate about a lot of things that you've said publicly about mental health in general is that we sort of ignore that and then we get to adulthood, as you see in uh, season two of David Makes Man, and you just you presume that you've gotten past it. So that part of your life is over. I've had so many uh, relationships in my life uh, uh, with people that uh, are quick to set aside past trauma and just presume I've gotten past it, so I've gotten over it, right? right? And that is, that is the sort of harmful nature of um, what we seemingly do to ourselves is that, you know, I, I remember talking to someone who was, you know, uh, much older than me and, 
asked him about a particular moment in their life and they were like, oh, I don't talk about that no more. I don't need to talk about that. That's over. I've gotten past that. Why do you want to bring that up? People in my family, right? And I'm like, well, that, you know, that still affects you right this second, like up to real time right now, you know? That's, and you cover that in season two. You know, now you got uh, little uh, David, right? Season one, and you know, obviously you show up in season two as well. Um, but then you see the adult. When, the, when he came back to set, he wasn't little, so we call him Young David. <laughs> young David, Young David. <laughs> he came in brolic. He was like, hey, how y'all, mustache. He was like. <laughs> I saw him when he was uh, getting out of uh, the chair makeup, and he pulled off his shirt, and it was like, Golly, <laughs> all right, young David. Well, you got any tips? Let me see what I got to do. He, he waiting for I Am Athlete in LA to open up. Yeah, right. Wait, let's go. Let's rock. <laughs> but you, you saw, you, you see that, right, uh, in season two where the struggle, and, and I, I think that's why that clip, and I, I wanted to lead with that, was so powerful for me because, you know, to make it in football, um, I embraced, you know, all of the struggle and the pain to make, like I even wrote something when I was at McLean Hospital. So really quick, spent three months at McLean Hospital, uh, 2011 diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and uh, walked away from the game and I was willing to stay there as long as it took to just get back my life. And I would write when I would get to the root of something, all right? And uh, one of the things I wrote, I was like, damn, like I'm so good over here, but I'm thriving over here, but I'm, I, I'm struggling here, right? And my interpersonal relationships off the field, um, you know, who I want to be. And so I wrote this thing one time and, it, you know, please don't judge me. It probably won't win an award. But it's like, you know, my pain, my sadness gives me my strengths. My strengths ruin my mind, body and soul. I've been trapped all my life, not by man or cage or by cages, but by my own emotions. Where I've been while traveling inside myself can be summed up by one word. Damn. And I was like, in that moment, I realized that, like, why I made it in football was because of, like, ah, oh, that aggression and coming from the hood, like, gotta survive, yeah. gotta survive. And when I was there at McLean Hospital, I was in dialectical behavior therapy, self-assessment, mentalization therapy, went through a clinical evaluation, neurological evaluation. So I learned so much. And in that time, like you pick up skills and tools to be able to move forward, to be able to deal with the trauma, not just say, oh, let me put it over here and compartmentalize. Like, I got to face this. So one of the skills and tools is words of affirmation. It's just self-talk. So that when you, that moment, seeing you go through that in the film, it was powerful for me because I saw myself. Because that's what I do every day. It's like, no, I'm a, a phenomenal husband. You know, no, I'm a phenomenal uh, dad. No, I'm not that. You know, I come from water. I come from the dirt. Like when I say dirt, that to me, that is that is mindfulness. Being able to walk out and be like, man, this is beautiful. So that's why that was powerful for me. I couldn't articulate it, you know, earlier on in the show. But that was powerful. John, you you saw I Am Athlete, right? You introduced T to I Am Athlete. Um, Where did you see the synergy? Well, first of all, I love how y'all start the show because I was I was listening to the episodes y'all had Prime on there and Ocho and you get a sense of community immediately there's a common language and some of that was football but it was also just the interplay <laughs> I mean these guys are lining up head to head um, and that, <laughs> that pulls you in but what's beautiful about what you've created about the show is you've given people a, a, a space where they can come in and be vulnerable so you're talking about, you know, what you went through 
Prime felt comfortable enough to share what he's been through. And I think what happens is we don't get access to that early enough. If there was a way to talk about mental health before there was a problem, we might be able to build those tools so that we're able to you know, deal with them as they come up. So I'm, I'm just really interested in, in how we can make that happen. The clip, I don't know why it just destroyed me when you guys played it, man. I, I think all hoods ain't built the same. There's a different structure to all of them. And once it gets to, you know, what Dave is talking about coming from water and dirt and we've got images of him, I don't think it's a mistake that they put his mother in the shot, too. It's getting to this deeper human thing that transcends all of that. And losing what that is for you, I think, is the start of all of that. So just having a good sense of what that is, who you are, where you come from, is something I really appreciate in Terrell's work. I don't really get it anywhere else. The first show I saw that cracked that open for me was one of Terrell's plays. There's something you were talking about, seeing yourself reflected. Brandon That's saw it. that play. <laughs> Marcus, what the secrets of sweet? No, Brandon saw, came to Coral Gables uh, like 10 years ago and saw uh, Brother Size. Oh, you saw Brother Size. <laughs> this this yeah, like right. production that I had just did. Not too long ago, yeah. yeah. Right. It was wild. I was like, man, I was like, we took pictures and everything. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Cool. Doing, doing those plays are like coming home, man. It's really strange. And it's not like I grew up in Miami, but it's still like coming home. I think it's important. And I think that's why, you know, This Is Us is important. Uh, David Makes Man is important. There's so many other that even that you spoke on earlier, it's important. I Am Athlete is important, which is that conversation and that platform organically uh, created itself. You know, and what we're doing, I think like I Am Athlete, um, is the traffic generator. It's like, what you're doing with David makes man, bro, it's therapeutic. It really is. We, I've had experience. I had one of my ex-teammates, uh, Elvis Dumerville. He owns property all over South Florida. It's tough. We talk all the times about being young entrepreneurs. We check in with each other and uh, we push each other. We encourage each other. We've been doing that since 2006, both drafted to the Denver Broncos um, in the fourth round. We're like this. And now we're in this new phase of our life, you know, husbands, fathers, you know, entrepreneurs. And so we have new challenges. He called me one day and he was like, bro, I walked in my office and I almost lost it. I hired this dude, just got out of prison from Miami, trying to give him an opportunity. Right. I got this platform trying to put him on. He got dreads, gold teeth. I walk in. And I'm hot. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Why are you on your phone when you're supposed to be working? And he looks down and he's watching I Am Athlete. And he's watching us talk about mental health and the check-ins. And he called me and said, I just want to, he said, I want to encourage you to keep going. And that's why we kept going. Because at that time, we were only, we were only getting like 80 people watching our shows live. Now we're getting 20, 30, 40,000 and millions of views, right? And so I say that because this is us and, uh, you know, David makes man is 10 times bigger than that. Right. So I just want to encourage you guys to keep going. And I know black men don't watch TV. <laughs> 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 yeah, I love that. 
They watch YouTube. <laughs> they do. They do watch YouTube. Think about that. Like when you go and we're traveling in Miami, you got guys with dreads, gold teeth. They're tapping into these conversations and they're like, yo, thank you so much. So um, we got to continue to create these spaces to have these conversations around sexuality. Having D-Wade on our show, right? Like we don't talk about that in a locker room. We know a guy, this dude may be, you know, gay or whatever. Uh, and... You know, the way we treat that person or may not even treat that person, may not even have a conversation. So he's living in isolation. Like, we got to create these spaces. Well, that's one of the things. I mean, again, the reason why we gravitated or I was once John, John put me on and I I was watching this. I was like, first of all, you know, um, this means it's it's kismet because it's been happening. Like, this is what we this is what we've been doing since, like you said, in 2006. Um, since 2007, this is what we, we check in. We, you know, if I didn't have these fellas, when we, it was a rough, it was a rough Especially year. Especially during the pandemic. Fam, man. it was rough. If we didn't, I mean, we would just get on Zooms and just sit there. Yeah. Wow. Literally just sit there for some time. And then maybe somebody will crack a joke or something, but, you know, we would just look at each other and be there and see each other's kids climbing on things in the background. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to look into these black men's houses and see, like, yo, life is going on. They have families to protect, but also worried, instantly worried about because now they got all these sons. We ain't got no girls. <laughs> <laughs> I got two boys. He's got a boy. I tried. Listen, I, I just go straight Y chromosomes. Hey, I don't know hey, it hey, it ain't over. It ain't over. <laughs> we wait. Look who's talking. Exactly. But come on, John. What's going on? Like, <laughs> hey, man, don't rush me, man. I'm going to find my own way there. Oh, okay. I do want to say I love what you all are doing, I Am Athlete. And it's not dissimilar from what we've created sort of naturally, as Terrell just sort of spoke to, you know, we, we all met around that same time in 2007. And then immediately there was a sort of kinship. We're all from different places, right? Sterling's from St. Louis, I'm from Chicago. Uh, John's from outside of Chicago, Terrell is from Miami. And our group, you know, which also includes Andre Holland and, and Brian Tyree Henry, who's also on another show that talks about black men, uh, Atlanta. Um, and we immediately sort of came together and was like, oh, this feels right. Right. There was never a formal conversation around it. It was just like, oh, I feel safe here. And we came together around Terrell's work. Terrell was writing for us. And many times we hadn't seen ourselves on stage or there were only like three black plays that, that people would thrust in front of us and say, hey, do that. And we can't just keep doing the same three plays. Right. Yeah. We can't be in the same parts. And Terrell was writing for us and seeing us. And I think we sort of informally were like, OK, let's. Let's make this a thing, right? Because I go off and I do my TV show, or I go off and do my other play or my other movie, but then I come back together with you guys and it feels right. It feels mm. safe. And, and then we, we meet somebody like Akili and it's like, oh, we're made of the same stuff. You know what I mean? And I think that we don't, we don't necessarily talk about all that often. And then we sort of formalized it and created a company together, which we're, you know, we're really proud of. Like, What's like, the name like of the a, company? It's called Cast Iron Entertainment. And, um, you know, What's but the goal. The goal is, is just that, to see one another, right? To, to, why, is to, that, why is that important? Because like, we're in this movement right now, you know, where I feel like we're, we're finding our voice collect, as the collective. You know, we're talking about the black dollar. We're talking about the black community supporting each other. Why is that important? Can I ask a question, Brent? Brent? Um, first, I think the reason why this format works for you is because anytime I, I would listen to you speak, 
while you were still in the league and after, there's never any artifice. I don't think you're capable of artifice. Right. Like you only come straight from the heart where like other other like pub, I don't know what it was like for your publicist or whatever. It's like, Brandon, stop saying. Right. <laughs> right. Because you would right. just say what was on your heart and what was on your mind in that moment. Um, but you were just talking about being in the league and you were equating it to that to that clip about him being lookout or whatnot. And he started off in a very sort of hard way. I'm from the hood. You know what I'm saying? My granddaddy did this or whatnot. And when he started to go to what I would call a softer place, it actually distracted him from what he needed to be doing, right? So like maybe there's something about a time and a place for allowing stuff, but there's a necessary armor that you need in order to make it from from A to B, right? right? So my question to you is in the league, like I've seen lots of athletes after they're done with their tenure, have a so- Kobe, they're like, you know, the, the, you know, dad's girl, you know, father of girls and whatnot. And, and even talking to D Wade after he stopped being, you know, in the league, he said, like, I could turn off a, a certain part of myself and be present in a way that I don't think I was beforehand. Can you be in the league and be open? Yeah. Or do you necessarily have to be armored? Woo. That's a good question. Thanks, man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think that uh, to be open is the way. And I think there's a lot of uh, work we have to do to learn how to do that as athletes. Um, For me, what I see is the guys who are open are the guys who are more balanced and healthier. The guys who are thriving at a lot, like, you know, balling and doing a great job are the ones who live in this space of what we saw young david right right they're not necessarily balanced but they are excelling right and it goes back to what i wrote when i was at mclean hospital right that piece and that's what i was dealing with so i i think it's it was hard for me you know it was when when, before mclean hospital that's it i got tapped into that and it was like this is not business it's personal and if you you know you cross that line you're taking food off my table and i didn't understand the big picture and when, after I left McLean Hospital, the struggle for me was, you know, how do I pull from where I come from the thing that helped me get here, but still be the man or continue to be the man that I just worked so hard to be. Right. right you know, right. do you so continue it, to write? Are you still writing? Not consistently. I, one of my buddies, uh, Jordan Shallow, just uh, sent me a, a notebook and a pen hey. and he said it's time to write. Right. But that, but that's why that piece was so powerful for me because, you know, um, that's where I'm at today. So that it's like, they say business is sport. So I transitioned from sport. Now I'm in business. So I'm trying to find that balance of being the, the guy that I found myself to be back at McLean Hospital and what we created there. Uh, but like my DNA is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the poorest county in all of Pennsylvania. You know, poverty, violence. We live in in survival mode. Yeah. And that's why, you know, there was one part in season two where I think um, the adult David, you know, he was talking to his therapist and it was she said, you need to learn how to deescalate. You know, impulsivity. Right. But that's the but that's the thing, though. You I mean. What what I find interesting, first of all, you should know that when I create when I when I set out to create this stuff, those questions that you're asking, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. 
this show is not about answers. Mm. This show is not about you're not gonna watch you're not gonna end a season and be like, yes, thank you, Terrell. You explained it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good and I stop provoking. It, it it has to, because because to me, that's how we're gonna get to these places, right? right. Only in and cause I actually, you know, the, the TV is not there to to heal you. It's there to provoke. It's there as 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 uh Sterling said, the media is there to make you go, wow, I see myself. I, let me have this conversation with somebody close to me. Let me let me find a way. Let me let me duplicate in my life um, this circle. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. The self-soothing that you're talking about in that moment is really important. That kid is trying to do his homework and trying to be on lookout. And at some point, his body and his brain go, I need to show you another way. Right. And his imagination goes, kunk, kunk, kunk. and then you see the like, what's really powerful about David, mm. right? Like you see his, his super saiyan, you see his like, <laughs> his, like his, his, his magic power, that's if right, you will, right. right? I mean, and, and it's the same in all of us. All of us have that thing that then goes, cuckoo, right. it flips out, it opens up and you go, and then you start saying, well, God, I need to tap into that. I need to tap into this powerful thing, right, in order to survive. Then you keep doing it over and over again. You keep getting better at it. People keep telling you you're good at it. That's right. right? And so good at it, I'm going to give you some money for it. Right. So I'm good at it, I'm going to give you a way out of this for you, your family, for two generations of your family. But just you, right? And so you start doing that thing you're talking about, which is like elbowing people out of the way going, you messing with this thing that's really important to me. You start like making sure that only you can do it. You start snarling. You start doing what you were doing. This white, I call it white knuckling. Knuckles getting the, you bearing your knuckles so tight to hold on to it that you can't see any, you can't see that, hey, 
you don't need to do this all the time. That's right. And that as a human being, as a person in a body, you're going to get tired. Things are going to wear out. So you need rest. You need sleep. You need care. You I need wish Ocho was on this on this show because Ocho, <laughs> we got this thing called Ocho versus Science. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'll, I'll wait. We'll wait to have that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Ocho. I'll come back. Yeah, yeah. Please, 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 please. Um, so, but I wanted to say that because you're, you're you're teeing up in a really good way what we're talking about in terms of season two, which is like that. Why is David waking up? David has a great job. He has gone to the good schools. He did the thing. Why is he still waking up in a sweat at night? Yeah. And I'm saying the same thing to myself because I had to tell Barry Jenkins, also from Miami, I need to shout out Barry while we're here. When after after we uh, won Moonlight and we got these Academy Awards in our hotel rooms, I go lay down and I wake up in a pool of sweat. Okay, can, can we let's go to that promo now and then because I, I feel like that's maybe the moment is why you created this. Oh, yeah. No, it's right, definitely right, cool, cool. Let's, let's, let's go there. Let's go there. Because I'm like, like right, what does all this mean? What does all this mean? <laughs> I'm sorry. Right, yeah. I'd definitely be like, this is my life. I'm going to make you watch it. This is what I'm going through. You going yeah. through it, too. <laughs> you try to track it down. That moment. That moment that it all changed. that you forgot to wake up. Ah, what's this shit was done? Alright, so what's all of that? <laughs> um, one of the things that was really important to me, and they let me do it, they, they, they kind of fought me when we first started the, the process of editing. But I said, when he, when he sits up, he's tired of this shit. <laughs> And there's a reason for that, because I don't want you to come into the season being like, oh, this is a one-time thing, he had a weird nightmare that one time. No, no. Every day, everybody has that moment where they're like, man, I let my guard down. I let it get to me. I mean, in school one time, this white girl spit on me and I was like, and again, my, in my brain, I just was so stunned by it. I didn't even do anything. And when I got home, my mother was like, she looked at me like, are you my child? Yeah, right, right. And from that moment on, I was like, never again. Anybody, anybody want that smoke? Anybody wants that? I'm gonna give it to you. And so, even in Moonlight, you see that like I just became this person who like was a, just became much more. And and you know, Sterling laughs at me because he's like, because he says he says I'll do this like effeminate way of like you know brushing people off. I don't do it on purpose. I don't. It is a survival technique though. It's a thing that goes. You're um you're if we are not if I don't care for you, I I think you're a danger to me. So I'm going to look down on you as long until I know that we're friends. Right. And and that's that I don't want to live my life like that. I don't want to walk through the world. People thinking like I hate them. Right. right. But when when that moment keeps playing in your head at night, when it keeps waking you up, when it keeps sitting you on the side of the bed. Right. Why don't we go? Hey, I should probably get some help for this. Instead, David gets dressed and goes to work. Right. Yeah. 
And that's what, that, to me, that was important. It was important for that that kid is going through all that anxiety and feeling that underneath 30, 15 years of adulthood. Right. Achille, um, this is a big conversation. You're 18 years old, right? I mean, you grew up playing sports all your life, football. I mean, you embracing young David, what have you learned? Did you learn anything? Uh, was there any powerful moments where, was, where, where you were able to like embrace like a scene and, you know, young David and say, wow, this is real for me over here. Yes, of course. Um, you know, I love I love David Makes Man and I relate to it. And all the lessons throughout David Makes Man, I feel like I learned from and really, you know what I'm saying? With me playing the character, playing the title character, I'm grateful for that chance as well. Thank God. You know what I'm saying? I really get an insight and talking to Terrell and the rest of the writer's room, like Lucian, an insight to really break down the script and get a true understanding and learn from all the lessons that it provides, you know? You did a phenomenal job, bro. Like, I've been down in South Florida uh, for over 10 years now. Um, and the people here are just different. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, T. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all are just different. Even the language. So Come on, JIT. JIT, yeah, right? They said, Y'all, I'm glad you captured it. it was, it's real. It's raw. It, it's so South Florida. And when I run into people from Miami, not Fort Lauderdale, which I love, Broward County, but Miami, it's like, where are you from? Are you from New York? Like, I have the accent. So for you to, like, get the language down, the, the body language, you got it, bro. I played at UCF. And we had half our team was dudes from Miami, you know, uh, Jackson and Northwestern. And so for you to embrace that phenomenon, you're from Houston. Yes, sir. How did you get that down? With me being a Houston native, you know what I'm saying? I just tried to relate to David as much as I can. You know what I'm saying? With me being raised by a single parent uh, mother, you know what I'm saying? It's like I know the struggles of being, when, being there for my mom whenever I can. You know what I'm saying? Having an older brother and a younger sister. I try to just uh, do the best job I can with being there for my mom whenever I can. You know what I'm saying? Right. Give me, give me, give me, give me a little Miami real quick. <laughs> a little Miami. Uh, <laughs> to help me with my Miami, to be honest, I shout out Terrell and really everybody on set. You know what I'm saying? They really cultured me and took me in. So yeah. Well, he. I mean, he. He's being modest. I mean, we. The because really, what would end up happening on set would be I would go. I mean, actually, forget set. I'm going to tell you about his audition. Mm. So we're in a screening room at Warner Brothers studio lot. And he comes in and he's like, yeah, I've done a few things, but like, I've never, you know, I ain't never been in no studio lot. doing." <laughs> and I was like, cool, cool. It's all good. Just everybody relax. Just a camera right there. This nice lady, D. Harris Lawrence, who's our showrunner, beautiful black woman. We all here to, you, you are, this isn't about your talent. This is about figuring out if we can work together, but you, you talented because you're here. Like you wouldn't have gotten to this point if you weren't talented. And Keely said, okay, yes, sir. I said, okay. all right, cool. Southern hospitality. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And I, and I said, all right, so cool. I, so I say, hey, um, just go, please. Like, just don't, don't worry about it. Camera's off. Just go. And Akili starts railing at <laughs> nobody, nothing. He's shaking. He's cursing out Sky because Sky is dead, but also haunting him at night. And his, he's got tears coming down his face. 
and I say, hey, 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 okay, cool, cool, that's cool. <laughs> you good, thank you. And he's still there. And I said, you have, he has to be in our show. Two reasons. One, that's amazing, and, we're, and that you're never gonna, we're not gonna get that nowhere else. But two, I know somebody else is gonna exploit the shit out of that. I know somebody else is gonna let him go there and not talk to him and say, hey, it's over. We are playing pretend. It's what do you okay mean by to that? Because I'm not in your world. I'm from the sport. What do you mean well, by that? You, the, the same way you hype yourself up for a game, right. you hype yourself in, in, the, in the imagination. Right. And you he imagines he gets there. He goes. I'm in. He's in the drug game. He's fighting these. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So you mean so. So you mean that's. You have to be able to turn on and off like actors, entertainers that carry that. That code switching that you see David do a lot throughout the season. You know what I'm saying? Season one and season two, even, you know what I'm saying? Everybody does it throughout our real life. You know what I'm saying? So it's like seeing getting a chance to see that on screen helps everybody. You know, that's interesting because a lot of us athletes, we don't have, we call it a switch, mm-hmm. especially football players, right? Mm-hmm. You got to be a little out there yeah. to run 21 miles per hour down a football field, 100 yards, and run smack into another grown man who's also running 15 to 20 miles per hour, right? Not as fast as you. Yeah, that's why I said that's 15. Right? I got it. I, got it. <laughs> I caught it. 15 to 20. Right? But what you you have to turn on that switch where we talked about what you asked me earlier, right? Yeah. Like, do you struggle? Right. And, and like, you have to go somewhere. And uh, what happens is we struggle in our interpersonal relationships are off the field. Some of us, not everybody, because there's a lot of guys thriving. Um, but there's a there's there's some, some struggling to turn off that switch. I never thought that an actor or actress can go through the same thing. Oh yeah, you can go home with you, you can go home with people you weren't born with. Yeah, you go yeah. home with because it's the same body. And if I sit here and recall those feelings, this is the that the, the it's only going to show up on camera the more I feel it. Yeah. The more I actually feel it. And if I don't say to myself, this is just pretend. I'm at work. I am not actually in danger, right? And so that's why a lot of actors, a lot of good actors, like I remember uh, I do this thing called Young Arts here in Miami, uh, and I work with a lot of young people. And a lot of our kids from the, from the projects, from you know, lower income, they may not have the technique, but if you say to them, hey, um, your father was murdered, and we think your uncle did it, and uh, the queen, your mother, is like hiding it, go. Mm. They know. They can go to the depth. They can, they can, I know how that is. While, while, while other people can go, yeah, the technicality, I just described Hamlet to you, mm. right? <laughs> but, but if I describe it in the, in the stakes of what the reality is, because our, our young people are in that reality so much, they can go there. And I said, I, I said, D, I don't want this young man on nobody else's, you know, couch or in somebody's film Doing that without having somebody say, hey, Akili, every time you walk off set, leave that here. Wow. Leave it here. It's not with you. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. Your family is great. Your mom is great. You're good. Breathe. So, so, OG, what advice would you give not only Akili, but any young actor, actress out there um, starting their career? I mean, it's this process of. There he is. Tell him. Betterment <laughs> is unending. 
for anything that you're talking about, the evolution of, to becoming the best version of yourself. Like, like what T was saying, you don't want to ever come to the end of one of his things and be like, all right, get to the chance to put that behind me, right? We are always in process. And I think that thing that you were talking about, about finding balance in the league is really important. Like I, I found there's so much self-obsession as an artist. You know, as an actor, you're thinking about your body and your voice and all this other type of stuff, that it's nice to have something to put your focus on other than yourself. So for me, part of that evolution was fatherhood, um, was being married or whatnot, because I can't just think about myself all the time. Like, I have to think about these children. I have to think about family, et cetera. Happy Father's Day. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. But, but also, there's no... I, I love going there. I love going there because I have no fear of releasing it. Now, sometimes my wife will tell me, you're still carrying so-and-so. You still got a little shango on you. My wife, my, my yeah. wife will, will tell me sometimes, you're not as successful as you think you are, <laughs> right? But, but I, I do enjoy, you prepare, you prepare for work, right? You know, perfect practice makes perfect so that when you get to the field, it's, there's muscle memory. You don't have to think about it so much. You're sort of just reacting naturally. And then hopefully when you're done, it, you have the space to be available in a different way. Because, it took me years to get there. Yeah. It yeah. took me years to get there. Like I would, it, I would carry the game. So Sunday we play yeah. uh, two o'clock, two fifteen kickoff, whatever, one fifteen kickoff. And uh, come five o'clock, I'm in my car going home. You know, I'm carrying it from that moment to it's like 24 hours. Right. And uh, when I got to Chicago, when I got to Chicago, I got to a point where as soon as I walked out of the uh, the locker room, it was done, right? But I would carry that home. Sometimes, it, you know, back in the day, it would take a week. So I didn't even give you the proper introduction. We never do that on our show because so people know who you guys are and, you know, but you're the OG, right? And um, you've been in the game for 20-plus years. Uh, out of all the projects, Brown Sugar, um, Black Panther, which one are you most proud of? Come on, man. Um... That's the most proud of. I could tell you what was the most fun, which nobody would ever guess. Like when I did Supernatural, I had a lot and of fun. And when you're done, I'll tell you the one that I'm most proud of. Okay. <laughs> All right. Supernatural was a lot of fun. Proud. Um, on camera? Mm, yes, on camera. On camera. Because uh, like if you, when you look at it, a lot of people don't know. I'm, as I'm looking, I'm like. He done done 7-11 plays. So 50 11 plays. My right, man been on. Right. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Uh, <laughs> it is. No, talk it, that it, talk. It, talk that no, talk. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's a lot. And hopefully it, 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 there'll be more. Um, I will say that, that, that OJ provided a very special moment and, and was a platform that, that changed life, right? And I remember the audition for it. Because like as soon as I, they came, it was like Chris Darden. I was in college. When the, when the trial went on, and I was like, man, this dude is on the wrong side. I'm like, why are you trying to take the brother down? Like, this is one of the heroes. And so to immerse myself on the opposite side was a really interesting thing because what a difficult position to have been placed in 
and sort of not really been given the agency to do anything at the same time. So it, it was amazing. I had a wonderful working experience. And it, uh, a friend of mine, Kevin Carroll, who graduated from NYU, would tell me this thing anytime I work with somebody famous. He says, you can't be a fan and in the game at the same time. Because I, I would get to set and be like, oh, look at all these people that I've like, been watching my whole life. And I said, I give myself a second to be a fan. Now we in the game, right? And there's a moment, and I'm sure you feel this at each point when you're in high school and you play against the other rival high school, and you're like, yeah, I, I deserve to be here. You get to college, you play against your I deserve to be here. You get to the league, and you're like, you, maybe you have some con- considerations of, like, how will I compare? And then you, you prove, you're, you're like, I deserve to be here. I used to do that in, bro- I did that in broadcast. Yeah, I, totally, totally. So, like, my first scene was with Courtney B. Vance, who... I love, I love. I just told you I want to play Lyman. It's because of seeing him play Lyman. <laughs> you know? um, and I, I, we had this first scene, and it wasn't like it, he was so generous and so kind. And that's what acting at its best is generous. You could, there's selfish actors, there's generous actors. And I, I, don't, I don't know how it works in the league, so you're going to have to tell me. You want someone to push you, not as a means of trying to dominate you, but to bring out the best version of what you can bring to the table. That's right. Right? That's right. This man pushed me in a way that was so loving, and we both got a chance to like play like that, and I was like, I freaking deserve to be. Like, excitement, not, not, like, like, not like I'm bad. I was like, oh, my God. Right. I deserve to be here. And each time I would do scenes with Travolta and with Paulson and whatnot, I was like, this is so cool. Like I'm people who were fans who I had up here are our peers. And that's that was a wonderful feeling. And so like the, the, the cap on it was because I was fortunate enough to win um, the Emmy for for that role and being at the Emmys at that time. And I don't know what it was like for you, Tika. I would love to hear your experience of that other than the sweat that came later on that night. Yeah. But like people stood up. An auditorium of people who I've been watching my whole life to give to give kudos, and I was like, "Huh, oh, that that was a cool moment." Yeah, I, I mean, it was powerful. I was watching that moment. I was tapped in. I would say the project that I'm most proud of for you is Frozen. <laughs> in my household, my little girl. That's a classic. That's always gonna be a classic. <laughs> He made the food oh out. Oh, my God. <laughs> he got I'm me. Not so much. He got like, me. <laughs> no, I can't, the food's coming out, but just, you know, can you give us three, four, five uh, movie shows um, that you've been a part of? Because I, I, sometimes we forget, man, like everything you've been a part of. He, he, doesn't, was, he doesn't let us forget. I, what are you talking about? What do I talk about? We did. He was like, see. yeah, when I was with Paulson that one time, and <laughs> then I was with, you know. Oh, but, chef. Chef, what we got here? Shrimp and grits? So we have blackened shrimp with three cheese grits and oven roasted salmon. Chef, thank you so much. This looks amazing. Thank you, Chef. Presentation's awesome. Appreciate it. Got a question for you. You've obviously been over there uh, listening to uh, the conversation. Mental health is something big and uh, excited to watch. Um, David Makes Man season two because they hit on the things that I'm passionate about. Growing up in Central Florida, how has mental health affected you or just been a part of your life? Um, to be really honest, uh, the area that I grew up in, it wasn't uh, something I was very focused on. Um, I didn't really get up on mental health until I came to college down here. And that was kind of when it uh, became 
known to me what it was, what it was about. Um, like I said, yeah, growing up back home, that's one of those things where it's like you look at the, the man next to you and it's like you, we all have problems. Man up. You know, we don't tell each other, you know, you can have feelings. Um, it's more so suck it up and get the job done. Um, just over time dealing with mental health, I've grown to come uh, or learn that it you talk about your problem. Being able to talk about your problems is very comforting. Um, a lot of us, we don't feel like we can. And then even dealing with uh, people who are like gay or bisexual, they have it worse. I feel like, especially from like places back home, because those are the people who they're kind of they have to stay sheltered. You know, they have to f stay in that closet, you know, because they can't talk to anybody. They're shamed. They're put down, you know, and just it's tough. You know, um, I've tried to become a person to be very open minded to everybody's problems, situations, because no one's perfect. No one's situation is better than the next. Um, I tried to become that person that people could talk to because at one point in time, I've all, I felt like that. You know, I felt like I was that guy that had no one to talk to. Why? Why? What, what was going on in your life where you felt um, isolated? I dealt with a lot of uh, deaths back to back. Um, it was, I wouldn't say a series of four deaths within three months. Uh, close deaths, one including my mother's husband. Uh, so it took me in a place where it was like, I didn't, not only did I know who to talk to, but it was like, what could you do for me? You couldn't do anything about it. I felt like I had been put in a place where no matter who I talked to, no one had an answer, you know? So it was like, I just felt that I needed to, the situation that I got myself in as far as being depressed, I needed to get myself out of it. Let me ask you a question. Last question for me. I don't know if you guys want to jump in here after that. Your swagger is crazy. <laughs> Straight up. I love it. Even like the little bread with the silverware inside of it, the chains, how your the hair, like thank the drippers, the glasses. You gotta get the detail. Sick. It took me when I got traded from the Chicago Bears to the, the New York Jets, I felt like that's when I stepped into my, my manhood. And that's like I was 32, I believe. 31. And I feel like it takes time to find out who we are. And, and you got to be comfortable rocking certain stuff. You got to be comfortable the way you speak, the way, like there's so much that, com that goes into that. Do you feel like you're finally embracing like who you are and like, what was that process getting there? Um, I've always been one that just wanted to stand out. And, and the reason why I say that is because it, like my expression came out through the, my, my style. You know, I was comfortable going and speaking in front of thousands of people and like, no, this is how I dress. Right. right? And wearing shades and things like that. So that's why I go there because I see your swag. I'm like, that's a lot of confidence. I feel like I feel like I'm in the I'm in the business where I we're all starting to do this. Um, even my other chef friends that are out here, Chef Low, you know, that's one of my friends as well. But we're all kind of trying to take this whole idea of a chef and evolve it. You know, I have friends who still have the old school type of look where they wear the chef jackets and the tall hats. And then it's more so like us, we're moving into modern day culture and trying to take that uh, idea of fashion and mix it in, you know, just to kind of make us feel comfortable as well while we're doing this. Keep tapping into that because, you know, what the Deion Sanders always saying is an old saying. It's like, you know, you look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good, you play good, you get paid good. I know that. For real. Seriously. 
That, right? That's one of his sayings. But I, you got to be comfortable in who you are. Like, when you walk into a room, you got to own it. Yes. You know? And, and I start doing that when I'm like, man, speaking in front of, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Kennedy Forum, uh, the Vatican with the Pope and... Um, what else? Some amazing things. I testified in front of the Senate for mental health. Like, how do we allocate 400 million, reallocate 400 million dollars to the mental health community? Like, I've been in some big settings. And what happened in New York for me is I went from like, I got to wear a suit and tie. I was like, no, I wear black. I'm wearing my cap. I'm wearing this. And I just start owning the room. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for this having me. This is tasty me. as ever. I mean, I, I don't want to go too crazy, but yeah, man, you, you did the damn thing right Thank now. you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Oh, man. That's a great point that you just said, Brand. Like, there's so many, like, societal constraints on the way that you're supposed to be, the way you're supposed to, like, show up for things or whatnot. And I find that all the time. Finding your way inside of that where you don't feel constricted but actually freed by your dress, by your the way you carry yourself. Sometimes when I give speeches or whatnot, because I know I, I'm given the benefit of the doubt of intelligence by virtue of going to Stanford or NYU, that if I throw something in the speech that is more colloquial, uh, Ebonics or what have you, like I love the idea of being able to show that intelligence doesn't have to manifest in one particular way, mm. right? And I think so much has happened within hip hop too um, that sort of pushed the envelope of folks being able to recognize it, like, no, these guys are brilliant. You know what I'm saying? Kendrick Lamar is brilliant. You know what I'm saying? And the need not to code switch as much. Ryan Coogler does not know how, I don't think, yeah, yeah. knows how to code switch. Like, you hear that every interview, he will be talking to Kevin Feige the same way he's talking to Michael B. And it's like, oh, can we do that now? Yeah, is that possible? I love that. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing that I, want, I did want to bring up that, that uh, well, first of all, thank you for reaching out about, for this in right. general, but reaching out and, and to the, the House committee about the reallocation of those funds. For There's sure. so much, because we, because there are communities that desperately need that mental health um, access and they just don't have it. But particularly, I, and I, I'm just gonna speak from a place of being a, a Miami City boy. We've had so much violence in our city in the past, 10 days, right? And um, I, th I think it's some of the what, sh it, it's touching on what Chef is talking about. There are so many families, mine included, I know around this, around this, this forum, the same, that we had like back-to-back -back deaths over the last year. And we don't have, like, where is the grief counseling? Wow. Like, where is the national mourning that is supposed to, like, how, who are we supposed to talk to when some like when there is no answer for this thing yeah. and i and i think grief is so grief is so tricky because people are like well death's a part of life you move on and it's like does it because when my mother died i will tell you like every time someone else loses a parent when someone a friend of ours um very close friend of ours lost their mom during covid and i said listen you're a part of this weird club now it's a very strange club but you're a part of it. it's the worst club to be a part of but i'm gonna tell you the grief never goes away it only grows and it grows with you. And so where you grow and how you grow, that's how the grief will grow. So don't stop. Don't try to not pay attention to it. Don't try to stuff it in the corner because it's going to be there. Like don't somebody's going to tell you that it goes away. It never goes away. Wow. Not that kind of grief. Right. It's with you. Right. But it can grow with you in a specific way. And the way it grows with you, you can be in charge of that. Right. 
Um, I, I, told, I told these fellas when we were on Zoom the other day, you know, I, re- I just recently started listening to um, this young lady talking about the way the ancestors used to grieve. And some of it was about telling stories, right? T- talking about the person. Again, not keeping it in the corner. And um, Yeah, because a lot of times someone past or friends um, is dealing with grief. You know, it's like, ah, what to say? What You know, let's not bring it up because it's going to put it on their mind. We don't know how to talk about it. Right. And I think one of the things that's helped me, and it sounds, it's the weirdest thing, and it actually happens in David Makes Man, but it's like I will remember, I'll just allow myself to remember a thing, even if it's painful, but also like couple it with like something, like my mom is, was really funny. She was mean, but she was also really funny. Right? Right, she, right. She was a Scorpio, so she was like, you know, Scorpios. <laughs> like she would say, and she would just say weird stuff. And so sometimes she would say, like, uh, like my brothers and I, my brothers and sister and I would get in a fight. And you know, we from Miami, so we hood as hell. And we'd be like, your mammy, <laughs> like your mammy. And I would hear my mom in the other room be like, it's your mammy. <laughs> and we would we would all stop and be like, is she talking about her? <laughs> Who is she talking about? And t- I swear to God, like there, there are just moments where I'll hear her say that in my head, and I would just start cracking up laughing and I'll just tell like whoever's around me like my mom used to say this thing and it was really funny and I'm just laughing about it right now but it keeps her again it's not she's not gone right it's, it doesn't go away but it's growing with me you know what I mean it allow I allow it to be there and that I think that's so when he said that I was like that's right because especially in our community so many people were affected by COVID right disproportionate in numbers and I think we where, we do need that we need counseling. We need some we need some access to help us get to that next point, right? How is it how is it showing up? I think it's showing up in not so great ways right now. Yeah, right. We, we, we touched on mental health in so many different ways uh, today. Um, it presents itself in so many different ways. In the second season, there's a moment uh, in the hospital. I can't like I don't even like this is my first time sitting down with actors and entertainers. So I don't know what to reveal, what not to reveal, right? Oh yeah, you can tell it. No, I don't want to tell it. But there's this moment where uh, you had this moment, um, you know, the Big David. Oh, the David, yes, sir. Right, not you. <laughs> Big David had this moment with his mom, um, and I and I want to show that moment that he had in the hospital with his mom and get your thoughts on that because we're talking about this, and this is another way it presents itself, right? Substance abuse and you know, addiction in our communities. It's prevalent. She's just worried about you. I mean, she's right to be. I'm okay. I am. I'm okay. I would love for them to turn that AC up in here. I thought hospital was supposed to be cold. This kind of stress, Ma, might not be good for you. I mean, chaos and boredom. What? I'm just saying, I just want to make sure you're good. I mean, this whole thing could be really triggering. Go home, David. Oh, wait. Go home. You really bringing up me being an addict now? Right now? In case I, what, forgot? I remember every day that I wasn't there for y'all. It's on my heart. It's on my hands, David. I am sorry for those times, but for the record, I have been clean 15 years. One five. But you wouldn't remember that because every time we celebrate something, you got work. Just go home. <laughs> David, we have all changed, baby. We have me, your brother. It's you that's the same. And I, I know that's scary. 
You had to do a lot of growing up quick. But you got a chance here to see that the world has changed before it's too... Huh. Go on home. Go on home, David. Go find you some calm. So earlier in the show, I talked to you like, you know, about, you know, I saw myself in this, um, in this season so many times and, and, and other people that I, you know, I do life with. And um, there's a moment in go, you go back to season one, you know, Saren being abused by his, his stepdad. And that his was mom. a season I was like, wow, that, that's. Yeah. I grew up with someone and just super close. Um, a couple years ago, we took a trip, just he and I and just a big event, and walking down the street, he just stopped me and said, I never told anybody this. And he told me that his father, his uh, stepdad was sexually abusing him as a kid. Because we were talking about parenting and why he parents his kid the way he is and so protective. You know, so that was a moment, this moment here, my mom gave me permission years ago to always tell her story because it's a powerful one. But my mother, um, you know, she's been clean for 10 years. Mm. Uh, alcoholic. Sir. Right, and she went to Betty Ford years ago, 2014 maybe. No, before that, getting my numbers mixed up a little bit. Uh, so that was powerful. You know, there's so many different moments where I'm like, man, that's me, that's me, or you know, I can relate to that. So that moment, why was that so important for you to tell that that story? Again, you know, I love I love that. Some I love when people. I'm going to be honest with you. People always are like, you're so smart. You put these moments that you know will grab people. And I'm usually like, that's just because that's my life. I mean, one time Barry, Barry said to me, hey, Barry actually, yeah, my truth. It's your right? truth. And Barry wrote to me one time in the middle of editing Moonlight. And he said, T, do you remember writing this scene where there's a scene in Moonlight where Paula basically talks Sharon out of some money. She pretends like there's somebody in the house so that she can get money out of him before she sends him to school. Um, and he's like, you remember writing this scene? This scene is killing me, man. And I said, nah, but I remember when it happened. Nah, for real, though. <laughs> for real, though. That's real. And so there have been times that I, I brought up to my mom, like, yo, you sure you need to be stressing like this? Because, you know, you, you're, you're vulnerable. And she was like, yeah, I know I'm vulnerable. We're all vulnerable. You're vulnerable. What you doing about you? Right? Are you, are you in a place where you're making sure that you're okay? Um, and I just, and again, it, for me, it's, it's those moments then, and, and Alana is a dear friend of ours. Alana grew, Alana's from here, the woman who plays Gloria. She's from Miami as well. She went to Carroll City. Uh, she grew up in Carroll City. And um, she, um, I've known her since I was 13 years old. And one of the things that she got about that moment is that she still cares. Like, even though she's hurt that he brought it up, she still cares enough to go, yo, why are you hurting me? Why are you, why are you digging at what I'm, what's, what's, what's my struggle? And, and, and she does it enough to know, like, yo, it's because you ain't getting sleep. It's because you're not dealing with your own demon. You know what I mean? You're not dealing with what's happening inside. So for me, it's like those wake up calls happen for David throughout season one, especially in the first episode. 
and we see him ignoring the out of them, right? As we all do, to get to the next thing. So that's why it was really important to me, because I just think, you know, we muscle through life. Similarly, what we were talking about, the grief, we just sort of muscle through it, yeah. right? Just kind of pretend. Sorry, you were about to say something, sir? No, I mean, yes, but no, I was listening. I, I was just thinking about agency, having some sort of control over how something comes out. Uh, and the sort of instinct that most human beings have to resist, to suppress, what have you, and then it comes out in ways that are unhealthy, right? Yes. But if you sort of acknowledge and are aware, right, it's not that the grief doesn't go away, the struggle doesn't go away, it's present, you know, but you acknowledging it gives you some level of agency on how it manifests in the world. Rather than being sort of reactive, you get to be proactive with like how that happens. And I think that's something for a lot of people is a foreign concept. Like it's like, well, sometimes I just do this shit. <laughs> right, right. You know, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that is something that is familiar. But the idea of being like, oh, I'm having an uncomfortable feeling mm -hmm. right now. I'm vulnerable. And sitting with that, like sitting like, oh, this is what it feels like to be sad. This is what it feels like to be angry. And recognizing that the feeling and taking action upon it are two separate things, right? You can have the feeling going on inside of you and how you choose to respond is up to you. It doesn't have to be automatic. It doesn't have to be like that. Like you get to have some sort of agency in that. But the idea of that for a lot of people is formed because number one, we're, we spend so much of our life on autopilot that we're not even aware of what we're aware of. And then number two, like you were saying to you just now, it is somewhat painful. Right. It is somewhat uncomfortable. And the, the, the instinct, used, the impulse is like, why do I got to dig up that old shit? Why do I need to act? That's in the past. But you also have to remember, Sterling, that well, not you don't have to remember, but but I also I, to that point because I because I, I often I, I say the same thing. Why is it so hard to just be present and deal with it in the present? Yeah. Uh, and, and I realized the two things. Both both options are painful. Yeah. The reacting to it right off the bat and the like sitting with it are both are painful. But you get that adrenaline mm. in one of them. Right. It's it's one of the reasons why people are rageaholics. Because if you. I can anger myself up to being angry, that that uh, that little snake brain in the back of your head, that a little uh, medulla oblongata kicks in, all that good energy, and now I'm got I got energy at least. Yeah, I get yeah, a kick. Yeah. Something kicks in, and we 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 come from chaos. Some of us. Sure. We come from facing bears and facing tigers and lions every day. So we, we're used to going, oh, I got to face this bear again. Need that adrenaline. I got to get. Whether it's a perceived or real threat, the exactly. response is the, the response same. In, back here is that. And that keeps us, that keeps us superhuman past yeah. it, right? Yeah. And to be able to go, nah, nah, I'm going to sit in this actually takes a kinds of patience and saying, I'm actually not going to turn that part of my brain on. Right. I'm actually going to let that rest. It takes work. And that's why I'm so thankful for what you guys have created. Um, Michael B. Jordan, executive producer, Oprah Winfrey, executive pr producer. Um, did they get it right away? They understood it. And I know Michael B. Jordan's in his phase now where he's really, you know, positioned himself as a creator and a director. And, uh, you know, like, yeah. So did they get it right away? Yes. So uh, just 
I tell stories, so that's what I do. When I first told it, when, first of all, when I first met MBJ to talk to him about this, one of the things I said was, um, I'm going to cry. Mm. And he was like, what? I was like, when Wallace died. <laughs> then I like, not <laughs> Wallace. <laughs> 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 Fam, Wallace on the on the wire hurt me, hurt my heart, it hurt us all, hurt me, and I like, and he was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, man." I was like, and you know, MBJ is the nicest person yeah. in the world, and so he's sitting there trying to hug me, and I'm like bawling and crying. I'm like, "Well, I was that bad." He's like, "It's <laughs> like Terrell, it was ten years ago." Like, we're we're, we're but, but okay, okay. And so then I sat down, and he had read uh, the the draft before I even before he even signed on. And so I'm sitting down about to pitch him. I'm about to say, hey, you know, here's the story. Here's these people. And he's like, hey, so I really enjoyed this. And he pulls out a notebook, flips it open. He's like, this character, I love this character. I love that, that, that they are black and Afro and they're Afro Latinx and that this and this. I love that we have a non-binary character. That's amazing in the story. Can we have more of that that pulls through this way? David, I look, can, we need to make sure that the heightened imagination in this is all, all throughout. Wow. I'm really excited about, I mean, he is, now, this may, I mean, that may sound like a good, smart meeting with a producer. That is never how meetings with producers go. Yeah. Never. They never are like, I read your script and, and from, from top to bottom, I know everything about it. I love it. Here are the characters I want to see more of. Here's where I think I can explore. Here's where I can help you out with, you know, some thoughts and ideas. He was just ready. He's brilliant. He, he's brilliant at getting in stories and making them like, like making the, the, the epic intimate. Mm. Like he's really good at going, all of this is happening, but what it really is about is this. And then you get him in a room and you go. And so then he dragged me around Hollywood pitching this thing. And so he's like, Terrell's going to do something amazing. <laughs> he would be like, go T. And I would be like, I've got my notes. Uh, you know what I mean? And I would like pull out these pages. And um, when we got to own to, to pitch to, to the own network, Miss, Miss, Miss Winfrey was actually in another meeting. She was in a big meeting uh, down the hall and she saw us pass by. So she like said, you know, stop to the meeting, like, hold on one second. And she comes down to the conference room because, you know, her execs are going to handle that meeting while she goes back to this larger network meeting. She's like, good to see you. I'm about to go. And um, and she's about to leave. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> Oprah's not going to sit in front of me while I try to do this pitch. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> um, and then um, I believe it was Mike Kelly who said, uh, Miss Winfrey, I think you actually might want to stay for this. And MBJ said, yeah, I think so. So, so then I'm like, in words. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like, damn. Yeah. I'm already sweating. Like, <laughs> I was about to say, you, you know me. You can't put Oprah and the N-word in the same sentence. I was like, <laughs> fam, I was like, damn. So then she sat, so since she sat right in front of me, right? And she sort of, you oh, fam. I was like all over the place and, and then. Sweating I, like David. Fam, <laughs> just get it. And I said, um, I started talking, at some point I veered off course and I started talking about double dutch because this is what David does. There's the one rope of him at the Ville trying to navigate these corner boys, keeping uh, his brother safe, keeping his mom clean, keeping the world that is the Ville stable, right? And then there's him at school, 
trying to keep up with these white students who have had an ability, had this training before him that are being geared towards this program in a pedigree kind of way and trying to keep that balance. And so that's what he's doing, keeping the rhythm. And if he gets out of that rhythm for one second, he's going to get towed up by that rope. And that's when she said, stop. When does this take place? I said, now. She's like, all right. And after that, she was in. She was locked in and she just was. And by the end of it, all of us were, you know, tissueing up. And, and she was like, this is poetry on TV. It's, it's, it's poetry and it's therapeutic. And thank you for season two. We had to fight to get a meal. Yeah, wrongfully accused. We had to fight to get a pills. That's why we write to get a deal. He on the team, he gotta eat, you know. Spike your skills. Keep it riding for the fam. You gotta like the wiggin' wheels straight up. But in the past bag, work up in the trash bag. I'll pass a lot to take the test before I pass class. Yeah, and my family needed bread. I had to come correct. That's why I keep The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.